Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, we're going to be covering verses 1, 2, and 3 tonight. And when we come back together next week, we're going to be covering verses 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> and some others as well. But I, we won't get verses 1, 2, and 3 done tonight. But I'm glad that you're here because the foundation that's going to be laid tonight is going to help you understand the rest of our study. It says, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest of the, of the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Now, it's obvious from the beginning of our book here that we need some background information to get up to speed because it kind of just jumps right into it there. I mean, there's some questions that immediately come up. The 30th year of what? Fourth month of what? Fifth day of what? Uh, Ezekiel's by the Kebar Canal with the exiles. Where is this Kebar Canal and who are these exiles that he's talking about? Now, we do have some information here in verses 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, we see that Kebar Canal is where? It's where? It's in Babylon, or the land of the Chaldeans, as some of your translations may say, but it's in Babylon, okay? We also know that King Jehoiachin is exiled with them. That's going to be very important, because as you're going to see, this little phrase, it was the fifth year, the exile of King Jehoiachin, is going to be very, very helpful for us in a little bit. We also see something else here, that Ezekiel is a priest, and his father's name is Buzi. But beyond that, we need some background information to really help us understand what's going on. And guess what? That's my job. That's why I've been called by God and gifted by God to go do the study and to pray and to let him open my eyes to the scriptures so that I can teach it to you. That's what the whole role is all about. So don't feel bad that you don't know. I didn't know till I did the work. So let's back up. Let's get some background information to help us get up to speed with where Ezekiel is and what's going on and why he's in Babylon and why Jehoiachin's in Babylon and all that. The nation of Israel had a united kingdom that lasted 110 years under the reigns of Saul, David, and Solomon. You know those three guys, right? Remember the nation of Israel wanted a king and God gave them a king and it was Saul. And then after Saul came David and after David came Solomon. And so for 110 years, from the years 1043 to 931 BC, and now I'm, whenever I give you dates, please understand that it's going to be around, meaning within a year or half a year of those times. Here's why. I'm a basketball fan. I know you are as well. The problem with being a basketball fan is, is you never know what year the basketball team played in. You know, because their season starts in the fall of one year and finishes in the spring of the next. So are we talking about, did they win this, the championship in the 2015 or the 2016 season? Well, the championship was in 2016, but the season started in 2015. So you understand, ah! well, in the same way, some of these dates that we're going to deal with jump from one year to the next. So it's going to be a little tricky. So when I give you these dates, I'm going to say around, but it'll be within that time period. All right. So from 1043 to 931 BC was the United Kingdom of the nation of Israel all together under Saul and then David and then Solomon. After Solomon died, something happened where his sons started to come into power and they started to fight and the nation of Israel became divided. The northern kingdom was called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. All right. Now, the 10 tribes that were part of the northern kingdom in the north called Israel, they um, they had 
stayed in power in the northern kingdom from 931 to 722 BC. All right, 931 to 722 BC, when in 722 BC, Assyria came and conquered them and carried them off into exile. Now, we won't have time to get into the detail of all that, but it was because of the wickedness of the northern kingdom. And Judah was just as wicked, but God kept sending prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And he kept saying, if you don't turn back to me, judgment's going to come. Consequences are going to follow. And eventually, there came a point where God said, the time's up. And folks, I hope you understand. We all need to understand that. God is long-suffering. God is patient. He's kind. He's not wanting anyone to perish. But there does come a point where God says, I've set the day. And if you don't respond by X day, the judgment comes. It's a very interesting thing that you see when you go back in your minds with me to Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham is told that he's going to be a mighty nation again. He's reminded of this because he's been wondering because it hasn't happened yet. And he and his wife, Sarah, haven't had a child and he's told by God, know this for sure, that you're, you're going to be a mighty nation and you're going to have many descendants and your descendants are going to go into slavery for 400 years. But then after that, they're going to come out with great wealth. And then God makes this statement. He said, but the sin of the Amorites hasn't reached its full measure. You remember when the nation of Israel came out of slavery in Egypt, God used Moses, as you know, to bring them out. And when he brought them into the promised land where the Amorites were and Canaanites what did God tell them to do to the Can Canaanites and the Amorites who were in that land? Kill them all. Now we look at that and that setting and say, well, why would God be so vicious and be so mean? Oh, he's been giving them how long? Over 400 years. But there came a point where he said, time's up. And that point came for the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians came and carried them off into exile. All right. Well, let's go with me to 2 Kings chapter 17. Let me just have you read about it. Don't just take my word for it. As you know, as we do this study, we're going to be letting Scripture teach us the Scripture. 2 Kings chapter 17, we're going to read to you verses 1 through 18. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of the Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalbanezer, the king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to So, the king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. And he placed them in Halah and on the Habar, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city, they set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking uh, 
They did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger, and they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. But they were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after the false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah only. Now, I'm going to take a second here to kind of lay something out to you that I think I need to say, but I want you to hear me correctly. I'm not one of these people that thinks that America is the new Israel. As you have heard me say over and over through our Revelation study, and you're going to hear me say over and over through this study, God is not done with Israel. And you're going to see it very clearly in this book as we go get to that section of it. God has a plan for the nation of Israel, and he's not done with Israel. America has not replaced Israel. But at the same time, as I've already touched on, we see a pattern that God uses where he gives nations opportunities. And if they don't respond, a judgment comes. There comes a day where he decides that nation is done. And if you've watched history at all, it's happened to almost every nation on the earth. There comes a point where a judgment comes, no matter how big or powerful those nations are. Assyria, Babylon, Greece, as we could go on, the Romans themselves. And I want you to hear something tonight. I believe, as you're going to see from our study this time, as we go through Ezekiel, and as we look at the, all of Scripture and the prophecies of what's going to be coming in the days to come, I have to be honest with you, as a man of God who's going to be faithful to the Word, I don't see a good future for the United States of America. I, I, I wish I could tell you different, but I don't see us mentioned anywhere in the last days. Oh, some people say, well, there's a passage in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we'll get there, where it might reference us. But even if that passage is referencing us, it's not good. Because when the nations are coming against Israel, we sit there and do nothing and let it happen. But honestly, the Bible also says, and we'll get there later on in our study, that when God brings, during the tribulation period, the nations to come attack Israel in the very last days, Every nation on the earth will be against Israel. So if we even exist at that time, it's not looking good for us. And I'm going to say something else to you as well. I believe the judgment of God has already begun on the United States. People that say, well, the judgment of God is going to fall. I think it's already begun, according to Scripture. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, that the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who suppress the truth. And then it goes on that there comes a point where God had revealed himself. Everything that can be known about God has been clearly seen through what has been made. All men are without excuse. And then he says if they suppress this truth and ignore this truth, he will give them over to their shameful lust. And what is the evidence that we've been given over? Men with men, women with women, homosexuality. And folks, as we see each state 
one by one, approving homosexual marriage, and our Supreme Court saying that it is okay, listen closely to me, God has already begun his judgment of the United States by removing his hand of blessing. We've been given over to our shameful lusts. And unless something miraculous happens with a real repentance in the nation, which I don't see in scriptures, we're living in a time in which we may experience the same things that Ezekiel experienced living in Israel or the, nation, or the tribe of Judah when the judgment came. I believe, as you've heard me teach, and we'll get there if we cover that, those things, I believe the Bible teaches that the church is going to be raptured prior to the tribulation period and during that time of full judgment on the whole earth. But listen closely, that doesn't mean that we won't go through suffering between now and then. That doesn't mean we won't experience the downfall of the United States prior to that. Just be ready. But I've got good news for you here as well. As you're going to see in our study of Ezekiel, for those who are in the nation being judged who are followers of God, he took care of them. But here we see that the northern kingdom of, of Israel had been given opportunity. He had sent the prophets. He had sent the people to warn them. They ignored it. And there came a time, said, okay, God said, okay, time's up. And Assyria came and took them off in captivity. When did this happen? 722 B.C. Good deal. You kept everybody from hearing that all over again. All right. Now, Judah is remaining in the land. And they remained after Assyria came and took the northern kingdom away in 722. They stayed in the land that God gave them for 135 more years until they were taken captive. Listen closely. They were taken captive to Babylon from 605 B.C. to ultimately finishing in 586 B.C. Now, how come... God used Assyria, and then he used Babylon. Does anybody know? Well, definitely it was prophesied. But how come Assyria came and took them captive, and then Babylon came? There's a really easy answer. Assyria was no longer. Babylon conquers Assyria in that time period between when Assyria is used to come and take the northern tribes captive. Assyria loses their nation, powerful as they were on the whole earth. And God, as the Babylonians become in power, and they conquered Assyria. And so it's the same area that the exiles are now taken to. It's just now called Babylon and the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And this began in 605 B.C., ultimately finished, and I'll also explain to you why, in 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar began the conquest of Jerusalem and the deportation of Jews in 605 B.C., and he took captives that he chose in this first time. Daniel was taken captive during this time, and even though he and Ezekiel were around the same age, Ezekiel stayed in Jerusalem. And you're going to see later on in our study, Ezekiel and Daniel knew each other, okay? But Ezekiel and Daniel are about the same age, and when they came, and Nebuchadnezzar came the first time in 605 B.C., he took some people that he chose. Daniel went in that time, in 605. Well, go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And again, let's let the Scripture speak for itself. Daniel, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 7. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, that's not Jehoiachin that we read about in Ezekiel chapter 1, 1. It's in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the house of his God, small g, and he placed the vessels in, his, in the treasury of his God. And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the, the nobility, youths without blemish, 
of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So in 605, Nebuchadnezzar comes against Judah in, in, in Jerusalem, and he takes some of this treasury out of the temple, and he also has his, one of his lead eunuchs take some of these young men to train them in becoming good Babylonians. All right? Now, in 597 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar makes another attack of Jerusalem, and he took the king at that time and a group of 10,000 people to Babylon as exiles. And Ezekiel and his wife are a part of this group. All right, so 605 it begins. And then in 597, he comes and takes the other king. By the way, that king you're about to see is named Jehoiachin at that time. And he takes 10,000 Israelites out of Judah and Jerusalem. And he takes Ezekiel in that group. And then ultimately, the final destruction of Judah and Jerusalem happens in 586 B.C. All right. Now, I've given you all this for a reason. It's going to be really, really helpful to us in just a second when we go back to Ezekiel. But I want to take you to 2 Kings 24 and have you read about what I just told you. All right. 2 Kings chapter 24. And we'll start in verse 8. I turned too many pages at once. There we go. 2 Kings 24, starting in verse 8. Jehoiachin, that's the name we recognize from Ezekiel 1, was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, the city, and the city was besieged. And, the ne and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasuries of the house of the Lord now. Before it was some, now it's all of it, and the treasuries, treasures of the king's house. And he cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon the king of Israel had made, as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people in the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, and the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000 and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000 all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah Jehoiachin's uncle king in his place, and he changed his name to Zedekiah. So in 597, Nebuchadnezzar has another raid, and he comes now and he takes 
takes the, the king that's there, Jehoiachin, takes him into captivity with 10,000 people, and he leaves his uncle in charge, changes his name to Zedekiah, and he leaves him in, in, in charge there in Israel, or Judah at this time, until when? 586 is when the final destruction came. All right? Now, all that will take us back to Ezekiel chapter 1 and help us figure out when this is going on and what's, going, what's happening. This now gives us the date of Ezekiel writing the beginning of his prophecy as we go back to Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 2. Look at verse 2. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. When was the exile of King Jehoiachin? 597. All right. So if this is the fifth year of the exile, be careful. Stick with me here. If this is the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, what year is this? Possibly 593 would be my guess, but 592 is close enough because here's why. I'm 51. I'm in my 52nd year. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the fifth year of Jehoiachin's exile, so it's probably only been four plus. Do you see what I'm saying? So 597, it's around 593 that Ezekiel starts writing. That's also helpful for us in another way. Because he then says, um, this is the 30th year in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Keber Canal. So we know he's one of the exiles in this group. And we know that it's the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, which we know happened from 2 Kings 24, happened in 597. Most Bible scholars, and I'm not a Bible scholar, but I kind of agree with Bible scholars. Most Bible scholars believe that Ezekiel 1.1 refers to Ezekiel's age. It says, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles, I think Ezekiel's telling us how old he is. You're going to see in a second that I, it, there's further proof for this, which is kind of cool. But this means he was probably about 25 years old when he was taken captive, roughly, because it's the fifth year since that. But I think Ezekiel is telling us his age, and this is important. Because Ezekiel is what, according to verse 3? He's a priest. How old did a priest have to be before he could begin his ministry? 30 years old. Anybody want to know how old Jesus was when he began his ministry? 30 years old. I think Ezekiel is telling us how old he is to also help reiterate, I'm a priest, I'm 30 and God began his work in my life to kind of point out, you need to listen to me. I'm not just some guy that's out here in exile. By the way, you want to guess how old he was? 30 years, four months, and five days. It's right there. You don't have to guess. He's 30 years, four months, and five days old. He's like one of those kids that says, I'm four and a half. You know? That's, but... That's kind of cool. Now, priests, like I said, began their ministry when they were 30 years old. And Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet, just like a couple other people that you've heard of. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. You're going to see as we do our study through Ezekiel that I have to go back and forth between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They were contemporaries. 
Jeremiah is about 20 years older than Ezekiel. His ministry started before, because Jeremiah's prophecy, as you'll read, well, if you, we'll go to Jeremiah 1.1, and I want you to see it. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the 11th year of Zedekiah, we know that now that that's the uncle that was left in charge after Jehoiachin was taken, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So J J Jeremiah's prophecy and ministry covered a lot of different kings over a long period of time. And he's about 20 years older than um, Ezekiel, but they know each other. And I'm going to show you some more of that in just a little bit. But now look at what it says here. And in, 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 in he's a, one of the priests. Do you see it? Now, we're going to read the rest of these verses about Jeremiah next week. So hold on to verses 4 and following. We're going to get into that next week. But Jeremiah was a prophet and a priest. I'm not going to take you there because it would take too much time. But if you're interested in this sort of thing, I can also show you from Scripture that Zechariah was a prophet and a priest. In Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, you want to write this down and double check me. In Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, it lists who Zechariah's father was, okay? If you go back to Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 12 through 16, Nehemiah 12, verses 12 through 16, you'll see that it lists the priests. And Zechariah's father is listed in that group. So if Zechariah's father was a priest, what does that make Zechariah? He's a priest. He's of that lineage. He had to wait until it was, he was 30 to begin his ministry. But Zechariah was also a prophet and a priest, all right. So Ezekiel is not just some who is this guy writing these prophecies. He's not some nut that had these visions and had to just tell everybody because there's lots of people that see visions. That doesn't mean they're of God. But we see here from the scriptures, he says, I'm 30 years old. Actually, I'm 30 years, four months and five days old. I'm a priest. My father's name was Buzi, if you're not surely sure who I am. And I'm one of the exiles. I was exiled with Jehoiachin. It's now the fifth year of Jehoiachin's exile. And I was at the Kebar Canal in Babylon with the exiles, and the hand of the Lord was upon me. We'll get into that next week. I cannot wait to show you about the hand of the Lord being on him. Yes, sir. Go for it. Yes, because they, they had to be priests for this reason. What? What? Sorry? What did they have to teach? Okay, well, the, the fact that they were prophets was not every priest became a prophet. You understand that's something different. But the priest's role was to serve in the temple. But they couldn't do that until they were 30. And not only that, there were so many priests because, of, you know, the guys keep making babies and all the males were the priests. They actually had to only serve during the time that it was their turn to serve. They actually, if you go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 24, you'll see that they finally had to break all the priests down into 24 divisions. And then when their division came up, they served for two weeks. But then there were so many people that was, even when it was your division to come serve, there were too many guys to do all the different jobs in the temple. And that's why they had to cast lots to figure out who was going to light the sacrifice, who was going to keep the incense burning. That's why we see in Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, he was of the priestly line of Abijah. When it was their turn to serve, they cast lots that morning to figure out who was going to get the job from the Lord. He was the one chosen to go into the incense. And as you know, Gabriel Angel comes to him while he's doing that and says, You're going to, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. They didn't do a lot. They didn't do a lot. And the sad thing was, many of these priests, even though they were priests, didn't know the word of the Lord. 
If you go, and we'll go there. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 2, you're going to see in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 6 and 8, where God's speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says, I remember as a young bride, you followed me in the wilderness, but you stopped saying, where's the Lord? And verse 8 says, and your priests even stopped asking, where is the Lord? So just because they were priests doesn't mean that they were serving as priests. They were given that role because of their lineage. And that's all they had because their inheritance as being priests was only with what people gave. They didn't have any land like the other tribes had gotten. Of course, the northern tribes don't have any land either at this point. And Judah's about to lose theirs. All right, good question. All right, no problem. Now, I also want to point out too, it's really important for us to know this. Ezekiel will often date his prophecies from the start of the exile in 597 B.C., all right. So when you're going to see as we go through, he'll give a prophecy and he'll tell you what year it was when it happened. And then later on, God will speak another one to him that he has to share with the exiles. And he'll tell you when it was. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 40 and look at verse 1. And this will be the best way for me to illustrate this to you, to help you understand. Because as you read ahead, and I hope you do, because I want you to be read ahead so that you're not seeing this stuff for the first time when I get into it. And, and also, there might be some questions that you have that I don't cover. So please read ahead and be ready for, I don't know how far we'll get. So you only have to read a chapter probably and you'll be fine. But... Ezekiel chapter 40, as you read ahead, you're going to see many times he'll say it was the so-and-so month or something such year. He's always dating from 597, from when they were exiled, that 10,000 were exiled with Jehoiachin. It says, in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. All right? So if it's the 25th year of their exile, 597 minus 25 is what? 572. It's the year 572. Well, let's double check it because he also says it's the 14th year after the city was struck down. When was the city finally demolished? 586 minus 14 is... 572. We now know what year this is that he's writing this. Do you see? He's going to be doing that a lot in our study. So this will help you later on. He's always dating from 597. Okay? That's the tricky part because remember, Nebuchadnezzar started attacking in 605, ultimately finished it in 586. Ezekiel times his writings as to when he's writing it to the 597 exile. All right? Now, Ezekiel's captivity was not one of slavery. But it was one in which he actually owned a house. We're not going to have you turn there. You'll see it when we get to chapter 3. But Ezekiel has a wife. He's got a house. And it's not one of these things where they were exiled and now they're slaves. No, they were brought into the land and they were just, the Babylonians wanted them to become part of their big nation. But there were false prophets who were prophesying a quick return to Jerusalem. But Ezekiel wasn't one of them. As you're going to see, in the first part of the book of Ezekiel, the first half almost, maybe a little more, Ezekiel's warning the Israelites in exile and anybody that will listen that the judgment of Jerusalem is coming. Yes, we were exiled out of there. Yeah, he took some in Daniel's time. Yeah, he took us now. Yeah, there are people still in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be wiped out. You're going to see it over and over. That's what he's telling them. At the same time, though, there were false prophets who were there in the exile, and some in Jerusalem, who were telling everybody, 
This isn't going to be a very long exile. God's for us. I've gotten a word from the Lord. It's going to be okay. There's going to be a revival. I had a person ask me this question last night. They say, Jim, you talk about how things are going to get worse and worse. What about this great revival I keep hearing everybody talk about? Listen to me, folks. The people that are talking about a great revival in the end are the ones who don't believe that the scriptures say that there's going to be a nation in Israel. They're the ones who think that the, they're amillennial. They think it's about us and the church and now. And they take the passage in the tribulation period of the multitudes of people coming to faith during the tribulation period. Remember the many, many, many who had been saved during the preaching of the 144,000? Remember how the Bible says that, that John saw this number and he said to one of the elders, who are they? And, 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 and he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. There's going to be many that get saved during the tribulation period because of the preaching of the 144,000. But what's going to happen to them according to the scriptures? They're going to be killed. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 says that they're beheaded for their faith. There's not going to be a great revival According to what we church call a great revival, where all of a sudden everybody, the nations become Christian. Oh, God's doing awesome work right now. People are being saved around the globe. We're seeing Muslims come into faith. We're seeing God begin to do a little work in the nation of Israel, even of drawing to get them a little bit curious and things are happening. But folks, listen to me. The scriptures are very, very clear that in the last days there's going to be wickedness, ungodliness. It's going to go from bad to worse. Men are going to be hating each other. They're going to be killing each other. The love of Moses is going to go cold. He's going to take peace from the earth. This great revival that everybody keeps talking about is coming from people whose theology says it's about us. And that sounds like good preaching, doesn't it? And who can't get excited about the fact there's going to be this great revival? But you ask them to show you where in the scriptures it says there's going to be a great revival, the only place they can even try is during the tribulation period and the multitudes who are saved because of the preaching of the 144,000. And the Bible says they're all killed. So we're living in a day too in which judgment is coming, is it not? The Bible even says that just as much as the earth was reserved for water and God brought a judgment of the flood, this present earth is reserved for fire. And there is a judgment coming on all the nations. And we in the church have been given a responsibility to share the truth. The salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that we, even though we're not going to be experiencing some of the judgment that is to come, neither were the prophets who wrote about some of this stuff. Remember how the Bible says in the book of Peter, they searched intently as to the times and the seasons that the Spirit of God within them was prophesying about, and they were told it's not going to happen in your time. Remember Daniel was given all these prophecies, and he says, when's this going to happen? He says, it's not going to happen in your lifetime. But aren't you glad he wrote it down? Aren't you glad he passed it on? The book of Revelation was written to the church, but it doesn't mean we're going to be here. We've been given a role to know, listen closely, all that the prophets have said. I'm going to say it to you nicely. If you're freaking out because of what's going on in the world right now, I'm going to say it to you as lovingly as Jesus said it to the two men on the road to Emmaus. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Doesn't the Bible say all this stuff was going to happen? Why are we freaking out? We should not be surprised at what's going on. Jeremiah wrote a letter, by the way, to the exiles who were in Babylon. Did you know that? If you didn't, that's okay. Let me take you there. Go to Jeremiah chapter 29. In the book of Jeremiah, look at your heading over chapter 29. 
A letter to who? The exiles. Listen to what he says to the exiles. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. We already read about that. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exiles from Jerusalem to Babylon. Stop real quick. Before we go any further, i got to point out something that you probably missed. This letter is written by Jeremiah, coming from God through Jeremiah to the exiles. He sends somebody to go hand it to who? Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar's handed this letter to be read to the exiles. Don't miss what God says that Nebuchadnezzar reads. God says, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Isn't that cool? Nebuchadnezzar's probably thinking he did it. God says, let me remind you of something. I sent them there. You just happen to reap the benefit. This is my work, not yours, Nebi. Get over yourself. But here's what God says through Jeremiah to the exiles. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For its, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill my, to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore to you your fortunes and gather you from, listen, all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God says to the nation of Israel that's in, in or the, Jew, the, the Jews in exile there from um, Judah into Babylon, don't listen to the guys that's saying this is going to be over real quick and it's not going to be a big deal. You're going to be in captivity for a while. You're going to be out of the land for a while. Build some houses. Let your kids marry each other. Plant some crops. Get comfortable where you are because you're going to be there a while. And listen, he said, I want you to be a blessing to where you are. Oh, don't miss that. Has America turned their back on God? So are we as Christians to rail against the United States? Or are we to be a blessing to this nation that we're in that has turned its back on God? We're to be salt and light. We're to seek the welfare of this nation. Christians are known for just bashing America. Yes, America's turned their back on God. But the scriptures are pretty clear. We're to... Bless those who persecute us. We're to be a blessing. We're to be friendly. We're to be 
Make them glad we're here. He then also says, there's going to come a time. I have plans for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And at that time, listen, at that time, I'm going to gather you from all of the places that I sent you. Where are they sent right now? Just Babylon. What about the Assyrians? Same place. The Assyrians came and took them to Babylon. Then Babylonians took over and they're in the same area. He's talking about the days we're living in in which they're going to be back in the land, which we've seen since 1948. And he's going to gather them all back from all the nations. And they're going to seek him with all their heart and they will be found by him. By the way, has the nation of Israel, even from this day, sought him with all their heart? Oh, they were allowed to go back and to rebuild and to plant in the land and all that stuff because the Messiah still had to come into Jerusalem and be killed. God has his plan. But has this prophecy been fulfilled yet when they will seek him with all their heart and he will be found by them? No, the nation of Israel, even though God allowed them back into the land, never turned to the Lord. They still were under other people's rule, even the Romans and so on. They were allowed to be in the land. But when Jesus himself showed up on the, on the planet, when Jesus himself walked through their streets, how'd they respond? They killed him. They rejected him. They said he was demon-possessed. This hasn't happened yet. But he has a plan for them to give them hope and a future. And they're gonna at the end of the tribulation, if you remember from our study of Revelation, when he gathers them from all the places that he scattered them. Yes, they're back in the land now, but the prophecies of them all being gathered from everywhere hasn't been fulfilled yet. We'll see that when we get to Ezekiel 37. Oh, again, can't wait to tell you there's cool stuff in here. Don't listen to the prophets who are saying that a great revival is coming. The Bible says the opposite. Yes, many Hundreds of thousands are going to be saved during the tribulation period. But that's not going to be a fun revival type experience. After Ezekiel's prophecies about the coming destruction of Jerusalem came true in 586 B.C., you'll notice when we get there that he then focuses the rest of his prophecies about the future restoration of Israel in the millennial kingdom. You're going to see a big jump. In the first part, you're going to be hearing judgments coming on Israel, on Israel, sorry, Jerusalem. Judgments coming on Jerusalem and judgments coming on Jerusalem. He's dealing with people who are saying, you're nuts, you're lying, all that kind of stuff. We'll deal with all that. But then there's going to come a point you'll see in our study of Ezekiel that someone's going to come in a message and saying, Jerusalem's been destroyed. Jerusalem's been wiped out. I just came to tell you about it. I can't believe it. Jerusalem's gone. From that point on, Ezekiel's prophecies in this book start talking about what we just read about in Jeremiah 29, when God brings them all back in the last days. You're going to see about the millennial temple and how a river is going to flow from the throne to the Dead Sea, and it's going to turn it fresh. You're going to see about the redistribution of all the tribes of Israel back in the land, and it's not the same as it was back in Joshua. It's another one. And listen again to something you heard me say, and you're going to hear me say it over and over Everything written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I'm going to close tonight with something that happened to me on Monday. 
And I'm going to just share this with you to encourage you and get you excited about how God can use you in these days. I like golf. And I play a lot of golf, but God uses it as well. And Jim Hicks was there when this happened. He and I and pastor from Central Baptist, Leroy Williams, were playing golf one day at Melbourne Golf Course about a month or so ago, maybe two months ago. I lost track. And as we were about to tee off on hole number one, there was a man on the putting green right next to the first tee who was by himself. And I felt like God was wanting us to invite him. So I said, hey, do you want to play with us? He said, yeah. And by the way, this guy's good. (laughs) I usually win. (laughs) To show you how good this guy was, after nine holes, I've shot par. I'm at even par. And I'm losing by two strokes. He is a good golfer. So I'm enjoying the competition, yet at the same time, me and Jim and Leroy, we can't help but talk about the Lord. That's just what we do. And oh, by the way, he's riding in the cart with Jim. And I said to him at a certain point, I said, I hope you're okay playing with the preachers. We're Christians. And he goes, that doesn't scare me. <laughs> Around the 15th hole, I hear Jim talking with Tom. And as Tom's walking up to the green, he turns to Jim and he says, so everything I do to earn favor with God is worthless? And Jim said, yes. Everything you do to try to earn favor with God is worthless. He goes, huh, that's something to think about. When the round was over, I said to him, I said, I don't usually lose. I want to play you again. I need another shot at you. I would enjoy playing with you. He goes, I would enjoy playing with all y'all. And he took all of our numbers, and we exchanged phone numbers. I played with him two or three times. It just so happened that he and I were playing a couple weeks after that, and it was just him and I. And I asked him as we're riding in the cart. I said, "Uh, if you died today, would you go to heaven? He said, I would. I said, how do you know? He said, you remember a couple weeks ago when we were walking up to the 15th hole? I said, yeah. He said, when Jim said that everything I do is worthless when it comes to earning my favor with God, he said, there's like a light clicked on. He said, I was raised in a church. I went to church a lot. But the church taught that Jesus did his part if I had to do my part. I totally put my faith in Jesus on that hole. And then he shared some stories with me about things that had happened between him and his son out in California. And it was obvious he knew the Lord. He had insight that only the Spirit of God could give him. So we've made a deal, him and I. He's going to teach me some about golf, and I'm going to teach him the Scriptures. (laughs) It's a great deal. So he then invites me and Leroy and his neighbor to go play golf. We played a couple weeks ago, or a week ago, at this one course, and his neighbor is a Jew. And his neighbor says, I, my father had a lot of Jewish books, and, and you could probably find them inspirational. I'm going to give them to you. And I'm like, that'd be great. So it just so happened that Monday, I was supposed to play again with this neighbor and Tom and Leroy. But Tom wasn't able to because of something that came up. But the neighbor still wanted to play. And so it just so happened by, at the end of the round, it was just me and the neighbor, Craig. Leroy had to go. And we are in the parking lot, and he hands me the books as he's passing them from one car to the other. And He's showing me all these cool books because, remember, he's Jewish and his brother's a rabbi and father studied a lot of cool stuff. And he hands me this beautiful copy of the Psalms, just the Psalms. 
I said, do you mind if I show you something in here? He said, sure, what? And I opened it to Psalm 22, and I read verse 1 where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I said, that's the word for word what Jesus said, isn't it? He goes, yeah. I go, let me show you a couple verses down here. It says, they've pierced my hands and my feet, and they've cast lots for my clothing. I said, do you realize that's exactly what happened to Jesus? Now, here's where you're all saying, oh, he got saved too. Not yet. You could actually tell it made him very uncomfortable. He quickly wanted to change the subject because now it was obvious he had to deal with the fact that his books, he didn't believe in the New Testament, his books were pointing to Jesus. I share that with you for this reason. Keep coming back. Bring some friends. And let's look at what all the prophets have said. Because if you know, God can use you just as much to say, just look at what this verse says. Don't think you have to convince them. I've learned the old me would have stayed in the parking lot trying to win him, get him to Jesus. And it would have been of Jim and it's not of Jesus. God's powerful enough to use that and whatever else he's done with other people to get Craig to come to know him. But God's working on Craig. You can be used of him as well. With the Old Testament. I <laughs> hope you find it as much fun as I do. See you next week. Thanks for coming.